Amen, amen indeed. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. Let's, let's pray as we dig into God's word together today. Father God, we do want to declare your praise forever and ever. And we look forward to that time. And God, we don't see things clearly now. We don't see you clearly now. And so we are drawn into fear and insecurity. And it's a struggle to trust you sometimes because we don't see all of who you are and what you're doing. But God, you are good. You are beyond what we understand, but you desire us to be in relationship with you. And God, we want to trust you. So that when we sing your praise forever and ever, God, it comes from a place of true love and relationship. But even more, we look forward to that day when we see you face to face, when we understand clearly and we are able to experience who you are fully. Speak to us now, Father, as we look into your word, as we want to understand these things. Show us a little more clearly who you are, that we can follow you a little more closely and love you a little more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, allow me to add my greetings as well this morning. It is uh, exciting to be able to continue in the things that God has for us. And as we begin, let's open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're starting a new series today. So excited. The murmur through the crowd was palpable. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to walk through some exciting things together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that the promises of God are true? Do you trust that God will do what he has promised? Do you feel that guarantee that Paul talks about in this verse here, that the Spirit has been put in our hearts to guarantee what is to come? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you know what they are? We're coming to the end of our journey through our mission statement this year. That isn't there yet. It's coming. We're going to put it back on the wall. It's coming. We're very excited. But we're coming to the end of that, this walking intimately with God, exploring all of the amazing and incredible ways that God has shown and described to us what he wants in relationship and connection with us, what he created us for. 
what we were meant to have and live and to be. From the early church in the incarnation through the life and stories of Jesus, we've looked at the ways that God has tried to help us see what he is doing. What he is inviting us into. And it's been amazing. It's, it's, it's been encouraging. It's been deeply challenging because God's kingdom and his mission are huge and powerful and incredible. And the things he is inviting us into are hard to believe. This abundant, eternal life, a life of purpose, of mission, of joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the Great Commission, this spiritual reality that he's inviting us to experience and understand somehow different and beyond this physical world that we inhabit. And as we've walked through these things and God has been showing us incredible truths, things that are exciting, but things that can be intimidating. It's, it's, it's too big for me. What if I fail? What if God isn't enough? And as we come to the end of our ministry year and the things that God's been showing us through this journey this year, we're going to focus on the reason why we can have confidence in this journey with him as we walk intimately with him. We're going to look at the promises that God has made to us. And the reason for the hope that we have. Because the promises of God are real. And they're extravagant. And they're important because they let us trust. They help us to walk close because he has told us that he is faithful and he has proven it over and over. And so when he promises us something, we can know that it is true. And the things he has promised are unbelievable. God promised Adam and Eve that this one would come to crush the serpent's head. He promised Abraham a family and a legacy that would outnumber the stars. He promised Moses freedom for his people in an impossible situation and a land and a new nation for them to inhabit when they couldn't imagine what that would mean. He promised David that he would be king and that God would establish his line through to the Messiah, through him. He promised Solomon wisdom beyond anyone else and wealth and power to outshine the world. He spoke to his people through the prophets, promising hope and life and freedom. And he spoke to Simeon and he promised that he would see the Christ child with his very own eyes. God is faithful. And he keeps his promises. And even if we don't see how it can possibly be, God never fails. 
As we walk intimately with him individually and together, we have to understand and embrace the promises that he has made so that we can live the mission and life that he calls us to with all of the confidence and joy that he desires us to experience in him. God's promises matter. And he wants us to take them seriously. He wants us to hold him to them. He wants you to take these promises for yourself because he wants you to know his love. So for the next couple of months, we're going to be exploring just some of the promises that God has made. Depending on how you count it, there's well over seven thousand promises of God to people in the Bible. And he means every single one. So this is just going to be a taste, just just a sample, but hopefully you'll feel inspired to explore this yourself. That you'll be drawn deeper into relationship with your father as you understand just how serious his love is towards you. And this morning we're going to begin with maybe the most important promise of all. The promise upon which all of his other promises rest. The truth, the reality, the fact that God is in control. God has promised that he is in control. Of everything, everywhere, all the time, forever. Deuteronomy chapter 31. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 41, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Proverbs 19, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. And to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. I have seen them. Isaiah 65, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Exodus chapter 6, therefore I say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgments. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. 
Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to you. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, in the end of all things, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. God is in control. And while we read those things... We so easily then close our eyes and nod very seriously. Yes, mm, of course, yep, God is in control. Totally with you, totally believe it. And then we immediately turn and grab control of just every aspect of our lives. God is in control, but I'm just going to hold on to these pieces. Just in case. My health, my career, my finances, my family, my home, my wants, my dreams, my goals, my free time. Just going to hold on to those pieces. But God can have all the rest. Which leaves, I don't know, my quiet time maybe. God can totally have that. This matters. It matters that he has promised us that he is in control and it matters that we believe him in it because it affects every aspect of our lives. Do we live like God is in control? Do we trust him? Because when we don't, we take that control into our own hands and try to do things on our own. Abraham received one of the biggest promises of God, that he would be the father of this great nation. Outnumbering the stars his descendants would be, through which God was going to bring this one who would save the whole world, his family. This promised nation was supposed to be God's chosen people, his ambassadors, his example to the world of what life was supposed to look like, to display and proclaim his power and glory. But Abraham was very old. And year after year after year went by after God made this promise to him. And both he and his wife got older and older, approaching a hundred years old. Long after it was even possible for them to have children. And it seemed like God wasn't in control. That God wasn't able to achieve what he had promised them. And so Abraham took matters into his own hands. And he conceived a child with his wife's servant. Trying to help God. Trying to take control of the situation himself. 
And instead of trusting God that he had it all under control, his decision split his household and turned his wife against her servant and brought all manner of pain and hardship for him, for Sarai, for Hagar, for Ishmael. God had said he would do it. And Abraham couldn't trust that he was in control. Moses was called by God to lead his people out of slavery and into the promised land. An incredible promise and purpose. A mighty and wondrous task. And God showed Moses his power. More than probably anybody has ever seen. Over and over and over again showing Moses that he is in complete control. Moses saw the burning bush. He saw his staff turn into a serpent and back again. The plagues, the waters parting at the Red Sea. Unbelievable. Miracle after miracle. And then Moses asked to see God himself. Something that God has said no human being can do and live. But somehow God allowed him to see his back or where he just was. Somehow he got to see the presence of God. And he spoke with God as a friend in the tabernacle. And the presence of God was so powerful in that place that Moses would have to cover his face with a veil when he would come out because it was too overwhelming for the people around him to even see someone who had been in the presence of God. Who would understand what it means to trust that God is in control but a man like this? And yet, in the desert, the Israelites are thirsty. And God promises them water out of a rock. Another miracle. And he asks Moses to go and speak to the rock. And water will come flowing out. But Moses makes a mistake. He wants to exert some control himself. He's getting a little tired of leading these ungrateful people and he wants to say a few things himself. And he gathers the people and he says, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Not God. And he strikes the rock with his staff taking control himself instead of giving glory to God. And the water flowed. God was gracious. But Moses lost the promised land. God said, you will see it, but you will not enter it. Trust. Pride. Fear. Selfishness. And sometimes even what we would call common sense. For all kinds of reasons we fail to trust God to be in 
control. And we try to take control ourselves and we just can't. We can't do it. We aren't strong enough. We aren't big enough. We can't control any of the things we pretend to. Jesus said, do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Can you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus understood our hearts, our fear and insecurity and pride and selfishness, but even more, he understood our Father, his Father. And what his Father was truly offering to us, the power of God and what it can accomplish, what he means to accomplish. And it isn't always what we think it should be. God is working. God is building His kingdom. God loves us. But my comfort is not God's primary purpose. God's primary purpose is His glory. It's hard for us to accept, but it's true. God is in control, but we have to be very, very careful about what that means because the best thing is not my priorities. The best thing is God's glory. It's ultimately the only thing that matters. God's glory is the true and ultimate purpose of everything. And that sounds selfish to us, but he is ultimate good, ultimate life, ultimate truth, ultimate love. And so his glory is the best thing. And things that work to bring him glory are the best way for them to be. That's hard for us to accept. It's hard for us to live in that reality because it is 100% opposed to our sinful nature. We want that glory for ourselves. Where's my part in that? Wait a minute. How am I a priority in there? And even those of us who follow Jesus or say we do, firmly plant ourselves at the center of our own story still. We want that glory for ourselves, but it can't go in two directions. And when we lose sight of that, everything gets off balance. Towards the end of the book of Job, God reminds us of just who and what he is. And sometime soon we're going to do a whole thing on Job because it's maybe one of the most important books in the whole Bible for us to understand. What God says about himself in that book is fundamental to understanding anything. 
But after 38 chapters of Job and his friends trying to explain and understand and put the blame for things somewhere, God comes and speaks to Job and God lays out for Job just who God answers to. The reality that God is in control of everything and he answers to no one in what he is planning and doing. Job chapter 38, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Not a position you want to be in. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. God goes on like this for four whole chapters. Laying out verse by verse just how God sees things. His power and his might. His justice and his love. His infinite, overwhelming, unknowable, mysterious, all-encompassing nature. God is God. And we are not. And he is asking us to trust him. To trust that he knows what is best, to trust that what he is doing is best, and to trust that he is enough for us, that his glory is enough for us. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in these chapters, that's exactly what he's inviting us to do. Even as he chastises and challenges Job, he is inviting him to trust, to know and accept that God is in control. 
that he knows what he's doing. And he will do what is best. Maybe not what is most comfortable. Maybe not what we want. But what is best. For his kingdom. For his glory. For his mission. For his purpose. And as we align ourselves with that. As we submit to him. And allow Jesus to shape and mold and transform us. That gets easier and easier to see. And then easier and easier to follow as he invites us to journey with him. Because even while he is working in these vast, eternal cosmic, spiritual, mysterious ways, you are still his precious child. That he sees. That he formed with his own hands. That he knows. That he loves more than anything in all existence. You are known. Every thought, every breath, every hair on your head is counted and known. Because part of his glory, that ultimate good, is your life. As you are created in his image and we reflect who and what he is, we bring him glory just by being, let alone in submission to him and living on mission and in relationship with him. God loves you and he is in complete, perfect unbreakable control. He is working to bring you deep into relationship with himself if you will just trust him and let go. Trust that he knows what he's doing. That he's in control. The only way to experience what he is so desperately describing is to give up control yourself. To let him lead. To let him actually sit at the center of your life. To get up off that throne and leave it for him. We don't want that. Every fiber in our being rebels against anyone or anything being in control but us. But we have to let go. We have to let God be God. Because even if you don't, he's still in control. And he is going to achieve Everything he intends to exactly as he means to, you're just going to miss out on everything he has for you.
Do you want what he has? Can you trust him? Can you let him be in control? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for passages like this in Job and the incredible challenge and reminder of just who and what you are and how far we fall from that place of understanding that. We lose sight of it so completely and we treat you like an idea or this little being that we can put in a box that's comfortable for us and put in our pocket and carry around and take it out when we're hurting or when we need something and we can ask you just to give us that thing and God, that is so not even remotely what you are. You are infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator of everything. And you love us. And you want us to trust you. To trust your plan. Your control. Your direction. You never promise us that it will be comfortable for us. Or that it will align with the goals and dreams that we have. But God as we give those things to you. You give us back new and better plans. Plans that bring you glory. As we walk closely with you, you lead us along that journey. Building your kingdom. Finding peace and hope and love in you. And sharing that. Father, forgive us when we fail. When we take that control back for ourselves. And we thank you for examples like Abraham and Moses who did fail. But God, you walked with them and forgave them. And continued to help them see more and more clearly who you are. Forgive us, Father. Draw us close. Help us to let go. And trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.